a lot of people just work in their jobs or, or their studies. Some people work on their jobs or their studies and then work in their jobs. And that's what I recommend is take whatever that is, how much you can spare, is it 15 minutes over breakfast to work on what you're going to work in. Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by Brad Zupp, the author of Unlock Your Amazing Memory, The Hackproof Password System, and most recently, Mastering Memory, 75 Memory Hacks for Success in School, Work, and Life, as well as others. He also led his team in the silver medal in the World Memory Championships in China. Brad, great to have you on today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about what got you into memory techniques and the memory championship? Well, memory techniques in general, when I was 20, 21, I was working in Japan And I'd worked there for about two weeks one time, and then I went back for four months. And I thought, it's just going to be smart to learn the language. So how hard can it be, right? But I didn't know anything about languages. So I went to the local university and bought a Japanese textbook. You know, here's here's how to speak Japanese according to the Arizona State University. And then I thought, well, this looks daunting. Wonder if there's a book that'll help me remember these things. So I went to a local bookstore and I found a book about memory and it had a chapter about how to remember languages. So I got that too. I took both of them over and within a couple of weeks, I was memorizing vocabulary right and left. I was impressing people and they were thinking, oh, you're a genius. I'm not a genius. I just read this book and it said to do this and I read this book and said, here are the words and I followed the directions. I remembered things and I learned the language. And I like the it was fun. It was, it was a creative uh, challenge and it helped me. It impressed people. So there's a lot of positive feedback going there. So fast forward 20 years, I turned 40, started walking into rooms and not remembering why I was there. I forgot things all the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, 40s, any age is just supposed to be a number. But as it turns out, I was losing my mind and I, it scared me. So I got the memory book out. I kept it a small book. It was valuable. It helped me before. And I started seeing, can a regular guy actually learn how to remember better? Not just languages, but day-to-day stuff. And it didn't help as much of the day-to-day stuff. But as I exercised my memory, I found that my day-to-day memory improved. And as a way to kind of double check and see if I was actually improving, I thought I need like a test or something I do on a regular basis. And I'd remembered an article from years before about a memory competition. I looked up online, found it was still going on, entered, did okay for not really training. And it was like, okay, if I do this every once in a while, I'll see, am I improving or not improving? As opposed to saying, oh, I'm horrible, I'm never getting better, but I actually am. Or on the other hand, thinking I'm doing great, but actually not improving. This is a definitive black and white way of saying, here's how much I memorized, how fast I memorized it, here's the score. This is how I'm doing. And I kept doing it. It was fun. I met cool people and my memory kept improving. And you know, when you when you have positive feedback like that, it's easy to keep improving. And I feel like I'm already coming in across a lot of those memory issues in my early 30s. So a lot to look forward to. 
But I think that's a great topic to delve a little further into because I know a lot of the material I've used in the past and something I hear from other students as well is they picked up a book or heard a podcast and they started implementing some of these memory techniques for their studies, but they didn't really have a great way to assess if they were learning it properly, if they were progressing and how to do that. I guess I'm not entirely sure right now. So could you explain a little bit more about how that process would work? Yes, really what I recommend is doing memory training just on a daily basis. And there now we've advanced to the point where you don't have to get a Time magazine out and try to remember all the names and faces on each week. Um, I don't know, uh, Us magazine or People magazine or something. You know, now we can do it online and you can see, okay, well, I started in January and I could remember three names in five minutes and here it is July or whatever. And now I can remember 20 names in five minutes. And you can, you know, you can see, I can see on a day to day basis or a week to week basis how my memory is. I train my memory on a day-to-day basis for a couple of weeks and my scores improve. I go on vacation for a couple of weeks and don't do anything and my scores decline. Using an online app is, is great. You can do it offline uh, once you memorize, learn to memorize a deck of cards or you, know, you can have a random number generated on your computer or have someone just write down a number for you and try to memorize it and keep track of, okay, well, it took me that long to memorize that size number and you know, write it down in a notebook or use an app and it shows you your scores and you can chart that progress. So if a student wanted to maybe start memorizing their class lecture notes or a textbook for the course they're in currently, are there special techniques that they might be able to use for that material? Or is that a little harsh to jump into if you're new to these? Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, it all, it all is applicable. I look at it, there's two routes to take. One is learning memory techniques and applying them right away. So you learn, you know, the memory castle technique or the association technique or whatever, and you open your textbook like I did with the Japanese textbook and you go, okay, well, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Here are the words I need to memorize. Um, let me give it a shot. So you're learning by doing, and some people respond really well to that. Another approach is, is what I mentioned before, which is taking up memory improvement as, as a sort of hobby or an additional way to improve other areas of your life. So like if, you know, if you're a runner, maybe you, you know, lift weights or do squats or something to improve your leg strength so you can get better at running or biking. Or you know, say you do yoga so you can be a better tennis player. You're doing something to make the important thing better. And, and that's really what I recommend people try if, if they're serious about it, if they've got a lot of stuff to learn. Learn memory techniques and use an app like uh, memoryleague.com or something to actually train your memory so that when it comes time to study something, your mind knows better how to focus and better how to make those associations quickly and store those images in a memory palace like you know, some of your other guests have talked about. If you're just trying to do it while you're learning, like I need to learn this boatload of material, all the bones of the hand, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn a memory palace at the same time, I'm going to learn association at the same time. It gets a little bit overwhelming. So mm-hmm. I look at it as do something like yoga to improve your tennis or work out with weights to improve your bicycling, that type of thing. Okay. And I do notice that a lot of memory gurus, trainers, instructors do have this sort of, I don't know if it's an arbitrary number or just a general good training number of about a half an hour per day that they recommend towards these techniques. 
And with a busy medical healthcare student schedule, that could be very difficult to implement. Uh, and as you said, as you're learning very dense material. So is it something that you could still maybe do on the weekends when you're taking a break or during a holiday break or something like that? Or should it really be more like exercise and almost on a daily basis or several times a week in order to maintain those skills? I recommend learning first. Anybody who is interested in medical school or any higher education probably knows how to study well. They're, they're committed. They've, they've reached a point in their life where they know how to remember material, but they may not know how to remember in this way. This is kind of a specialized way that makes everything easier in the long run, but there is a learning curve. And I can talk about that. But I recommend taking a few days, a few hours. You know, it, it varies by individual. And learning association, creating one, two, 10, 20 memory palaces of 10 to 20 rooms or locations per, going to an app or just taking anything you want you want to train with, cards or numbers or images, and learn how to use all those memory palaces and then apply it. Now, if, if you're serious, I recommend daily. It doesn't have to be long, like memoryleague.com. Everything's done in, in one minute. So you try to memorize as many names as you can in a minute, or you try to memorize as many images in order in a minute. So really, a 10, 15-minute workout, if you would, in every morning or every other morning or whatever, just like you go for a run every other morning to maintain your physical fitness, that's something that, that should be part of any serious student's routine in my, part, in my idea. Mm, all right. Would there be any particular memory skills that you think would be more conducive to the healthcare medical student or just try everything such as we've had Alex Mullen and Nelson Delison in the past explain the journey method, the memory palace, Anthony mm -hmm. Mativier came and gave instructions on memory palace as well as a few others. Are there certain ones that might be better for certain types of material in your opinion? And what should a medical student or healthcare student focus on? That's a great question. Really, the, the memory palace technique is, is actually an association technique. You have the memory palace is, is, the, is the storage vessel. So kind of like the, the box for the eggs. You've got to have the eggs to put in it. So to make the eggs, you, know, you have to be good at associating. And to associate, you have to be good at translating. So if you want to translate you know, the, the bones of the hand or any, any medical thing, the trick isn't necessarily the memory palace. The trick is going, how am I going to remember, I use a foreign language word, how am I going to remember that neko in Japanese is cat? And it's the same thing with especially medical terminology or if you have to memorize the drug names or anything like that. It's these things that really don't mean anything in our lives that we have to take and make memorable. So. The particular skill, I think, is how to translate something you don't know how to remember into something that makes sense and is memorable. Neko in Japanese means cat. Well, how are you going to remember that? So I'm sure your other guests have talked about this, but it comes down to the basics. How are you going to, you're going to picture one side, you're going to picture the other side, then you're going to connect them, then you're going to review by adding details. Mm -hmm. uh, I call it picture, connect, review. So you picture cat. And the mind remembers silly, wild, exaggerated things better. So picture a cat. It might be 
Garfield, or it might be the cat from the internet likes to be tickled, or the cat that tries to jump up on the refrigerator and falls down because I can't jump. But make it interesting, exaggerate its size, make it a funny color, like as, you know, green or something. Make it interesting. So that's the cat side. And Neko, how are you going to remember Neko? Break it down. What does it sound like? Or what does it remind you of? Well, Neko sounds like neck and O. So then you combine cat and neck. So picture this green cat instead of trying to jump up on top of the refrigerator, tries to jump up on your neck and barely makes and is clawing your neck. And it's, oh, it's clawing my neck. Oh, it's clawing my neck. If you can take 20 seconds and create this bizarre image, you connect those two. So that's a bridge to when you actually speak the foreign language perfectly or when you know the medical terminology because you're a doctor and you've just learned it. All really these memory techniques are, are bridges until you actually know something. You know, we use a memory technique to remember someone's name until they're our friend. We don't have to go, okay, I look at your face. I go, okay, what's memorable about his face? How am I going to remember his name is Jay? No, you're my friend, so I just remember your name. Or you're a doctor. You just remember the bones of the hand. So all these are bridges until you know something. So I think the particular skill is that association and being creative enough to translate something that you look at this word and go, I don't know what this word is, but I got to memorize it because I'm going to be a doctor and I need to know this and translate it into something that makes sense to you. Yeah, I've heard that those that are bilingual or multilingual are much better at starting off with some of these techniques because they already have that sort of innate training or the brain's already wired to make different associations between different words. And like you mentioned in medicine, you're learning a little Latin, a little Greek, a little French, a little of many different languages to understand the terminology, depending on which period of time it came from and where it came from. So I suppose learning language skills or having a little background in that is going to be immensely beneficial if you're just beginning to use some of these techniques. I agree. And but I, what I see the causality there is that it's actually people who have learned how to remember and associate well. So it is kind of going back to that lifting weights to get better at another sport or doing yoga to get better at another sport. And that's where, you know, you could learn a foreign language on the weekend to kind of prime your brain to remember things that don't make sense necessarily. Or you can, you know, memorize their cards or you can memorize images or something on on the website. That goes back to kind of a learning curve. Uh, the way I described it in my my first memory book, unlike Unlock Your Amazing Memory, which is more for kids, but it's, it's silly and fun, is, you know, there's a learning curve to everything in life. So when we first start out, we walk, you know, we, we walk to first grade or we walk to second grade if we, if we live close enough to go to school. But eventually we go, you know what, I want to get around more. I want to go further and explore. We get older and we learn how to ride a bike. Or we learn how to bike, ride a bike earlier, but then we get permission as we get older to ride further and further from home. You know, learning to ride a bike takes time. It takes effort. It takes skill. But we do that because we want to go a little faster and a little farther than we can do walking. And eventually we realize, well, this, this bike thing is great, save the planet, but I need to drive, you know, <laughs> hundreds of miles for this thing. So I'm going to learn how to drive. These are natural progressions we don't really think about well, there's a learning curve here. Should I learn how to ride a bike or shouldn't I? Or should I learn how to drive or shouldn't I? We just, we just do them because it's things we do in life. But you don't need to learn how to ride a bike. You don't need to learn how to drive a car. I mean, you can walk almost everywhere. So why bother? Well, because it can get things done faster. 
And if you need to travel really far and you're really committed to it, you might you know, get your private pilot's license and buy airplanes. You can fly places quickly, much further away than you could drive quickly. So each of those things take time, but there's a, there's a good reason for learning them. And I see, especially medical students and anybody reaching for a higher education, you're going to be doing a lot of learning, just years and years and books and books and books. So why walk? Why consign yourself to, well, walking's fine. I'm just going to study the slow, old, boring, rote memorization way. I'm just going to dedicate the next eight years of my life to reading my notes, rereading my notes, quizzing myself, rereading my notes. Why not learn how to ride a bike? Why not get really serious and learn how to drive? At least, if not, learn to get your private, private pilot's license. And to me, learning to drive is, you know, you take a week before school starts or spring break or summer break or, you know, all day one Saturday and you delve into memory techniques. The basics can be understood in you know, 15 minutes. And then you get an app for your phone or you get online and you do the hard work over an hour or two of creating memory palaces. And then you do the hard work of going, how am I going to remember the bird in the cage associated with my couch? Okay, now here's the next one. How am I going to remember the airplane associated with my lamp? And you fill up the memory palaces and then you recall and you test yourself. You're like, well, that was horrible. <laughs> Let me move on to my next memory palace and try it again. And you do that for an hour or two and you're like, I get it. And then when it comes time to sit down with your textbook uh, Sunday night to review for Monday's class, your mind knows better how to remember. I love the comparison you made with bicycle and then driving a car and then flying a plane. And I think most students, especially high achieving medical students, for instance, would love to be able to jump straight to that private pilot's license aspect of their studies. But using that metaphor, it's also seemingly very complex and difficult to learn that material to basically, in this comparison, studying for your private pilot's license while you're also, I don't know, learning to drive or yeah. something along those lines. It, it seems like it'd be difficult to fit in both at the same time. Do you have any recommendations on how to go about doing that? Well, in my life, I've achieved a lot. And my thought process is I always have time for what I do first. So what's the most important thing in, to accomplish? I mean, within reason, I mean, I got to get up, got to have breakfast, but a lot of times I'll go for a run or a lot of times, you know, there's that email I've got to respond to. And that's the first thing. That's the important thing. That's what I'll do first. Or I have a little thing called Stomp where it's uh, self-improvement first, training second. So S-T-O-M-P. So self-improvement first, training second. So my, the first part of my day is self-improvement, whether that's stretching, yoga, running, meditating, journaling, something that, that improves me kind of offline, not work-related. Training is what can I get better at? You know, a manager might say, okay, I'm going to read a book about how to manage people better, or I'm going to work on something, even if it's in my journal about how to communicate better. You know, a student might go, okay, well, what can I do to work on my work? A lot of people just work in their jobs or, or their studies. Some people work on their jobs 
or their studies and then work in their jobs. And that's what I recommend is take whatever that is, how much you can spare, is it 15 minutes over breakfast to work on what you're going to work in? And that would be doing the memory training. It's in 15 minutes, once you learn the techniques in 15 minutes a day, you can, you can become a world-class memory athlete or <laughs> a world-class student. <laughs> that seems like not a lot of time considering we have to spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day in lectures, studying notes before lectures, studying notes after lectures. Just 15 minutes a day seems quite plausible. I agree. And I think the thing that a lot of other memory athletes, I don't know if Nelson or Alex mentioned this, but pretty much every memory athlete I meet says, well, I didn't have a good memory. And that's why I became a memory athlete. I learned the techniques. I liked the techniques and I wanted to get better. So I entered a memory competition. So the, it's, the, it's the same thing. You know, we, we want to get better at m- remembering. So that's why we do the memory training. It's like you want to get stronger or look stronger or look better. You lift weights or you run. So the fun part about that is, yeah, take 15 minutes. And what I've found is by doing the memory training, it does help every area of my life. So when I learn something, it doesn't take me as long. I don't have to take as many notes because like I, I read something and I remember it. And it's not, it goes from the process of, well, I read that, I don't know what it is. So I write it down, I make a notes, I make a mind map, or I do this, I do that, and I apply a memory technique. Once you start training your mind, it just becomes easy to remember. You just, like you said, jump from learning to, learning to walk to learning to fly the plane. You just, you don't have to do the intermediate steps because you have a better memory. It's kind of like you work out and lift weights. And you go to the grocery store to buy your cat food, your dog food, the 40-pound bag. You don't have to call someone to lift it in the cart for you or you know, have the scanner reach over and the checker reach over and scan it for you. You're, you've, you've done your working out. You can just lift it up. So it's that same type of thing. You, know, you can go to the store and, and practice lifting it up and get stronger like that, or you can just do your workout in the morning and be able to nail it later. And I really love what you said about working in the work and not working on the work. I think once you get to, especially graduate level education, and this is probably for students and instructors, is that you already assume that you know enough because you know the material or you know enough because you've gotten to this point and then you might stop thinking about working on the process and improving your learning abilities and working on those types of techniques. So that's a really good point to bring up to students is just because you've made it to a certain point, whether it's pre-med, med school, nursing, physician assistant school, that you haven't stopped your abilities to learn more effectively and quicker. Exactly. And uh, I got that from a book called The E-Myth Revisited. It's a little bit of an older book, but it's a great book that talks, I think he recommends taking like one business day a month to work, or maybe it's a quarter, I use it a month, to work on the businesses and in the business. And I think students or uh, teachers can do that too. Maybe a, maybe a day a month is too much, but maybe a day a semester, the beginning of the semester in September or you know January, say, okay, semester is about to start. How can I be a better student this semester? What am I doing? What worked last semester? What didn't work last semester? Where, am I, where are things breaking down? Am I, am I not dedicated enough? Am I not studying enough? Am I studying too much and I'm getting stressed out? Do I need to manage my stress level? Do I need to exercise more? Do I need to 
Do I need to sit down and study more? Do I need to learn some memory improvement techniques? Do I need to train my brain three days a week? What do I need to do to be a better student or a better teacher or whatever? It's just a kind of a self-evaluation that I think a lot of us don't think about because it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting concept that I don't hear a lot about. I've heard that book mentioned so many times and it's been on my list for a while now. I'm going to have to eventually get around to it. That's also uh, something I hear a lot from medical students is, especially during their dedicated study time before their first board exam is, I've hit a plateau. What do I do now? So being able to self-assess and find the points that you can make stronger and how to make them stronger by this sort of self-analysis is basically a great example of how to get over that plateau and continue to progress in your studies. I agree. And you know, one of the things that I really wanted to mention to you, one of the best things we can do for a, a resource for uh, ourselves is to have a, you know, I think it's, it's pretty common to have a study group or a study buddy or a training buddy. I think it's, it's really essential to find a like-minded person who not only wants to study and do well, especially at you know the level you want to do well. If you want to be top of class, you need someone else who wants to be top of class. If you just want to make sure you pass that really hard class that you know you're going to struggle with, find someone else similar-minded. But also, if possible, find someone else who is either interested in memory improvement and making this whole process easier and faster, or turn them on to it so that you have at least one other person, if not more people, that will hold you accountable to your you know, 15 minutes of memory training three days a week or you know, two hours on Saturday or whatever you have time for, or who knows these techniques and is willing to work at them with you. So you know, when they say, well, you're having trouble with that, what, what memory palace are you using? You're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even I forgot to use the memory palace and the memory techniques for this one. Of course, that's what I should be using. You've got someone there to remind you. Because really, this is about, you know, for med students or anybody in, in higher learning, it's about either doing it faster because there's so much to learn, you don't have enough time, or you already are a good studier, you already remember well, but there's some things that just won't stick. So you use the memory techniques as a bridge. If you're not using them as just kind of a foundation to, you know, to remember better everything, you need to use them to be faster or some things, no matter what you do to study, it's just taking too long. This one course is kicking my rear end or this one chapter is not sticking. I've read my notes. I've done flashcards. It's not sticking in my mind. What can I do? That is especially a great time to change to the translating into a picture, connecting it to another picture, and then reviewing by adding details. That's a great time to go, okay, this, my normal method isn't sticking. I reviews, reviewed my notes twice. Usually when I review my notes twice, no problem. I've got it. For whatever reason, this is doing it. Time to pull out the big guns. Now we're going to use the memory techniques. So if people don't want to commit to you know, memory training a couple of days a week or a few minutes a day, that's when to use them as, you know what, this is the time for the memory palace and the association techniques. And students may find it difficult to find someone that's studying medicine and memory techniques. I'm sure it's a still relatively small percentage of the population, though it's growing rapidly. But they can go to our Facebook group, the Medical Nemonist Mastermind, and find other like-minded individuals. So that's a great resource to try to connect with someone in this field and share your techniques and study together. Absolutely. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be an in-person person or group. You, know, you can... You can keep in touch easily via the Facebook group and, and get the support that way. 
and so much great technology to use, such as Zoom that we're using now to communicate. So yep. it'll be basically like in person. Yep. And it really doesn't have to be the same, the the same area of study. You know, maybe you're in in pre-med and someone else is in law school. Or you're in, you know, you're about to be in your residency and someone else is their first year at a law firm. You're both having to study a lot. They have to pass the bar. You can support each other. It's not a problem. <laughs> I love it. Are there any particular techniques or tips you have for mind maps that could be used for this? For instance, I know that some students have advocated for using them to just outline a chapter of their text. But other than that, I haven't heard a lot of examples for the mind maps used in medicine. Yeah, I think it's great. It's not really a way I learn books. I I learn really well just by reading, but it's how I design my year and quarter. You know, I'll put something for those who don't know a mind map, it's just a visual representation of what you want to think about and remember. It's a way of organizing as opposed to linear note taking. It's a more creative way that helps the mind think in the way it likes. So I have, (laughs) I'm looking at one here in my office right now. I've got a mind map for chores, kind of all the things I want to get done when the weather is nice this summer from cleaning out the garage to cleaning out the barn. So right in the middle is chores. And then I have squiggly lines to clean the garage. And I've got the, you know, the upstairs in the garage and downstairs. I need to do this and just branching things out. And when I close my eyes after looking at that a couple times, you know, drawing it out for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it took me the other day, I can kind of close my eyes and say, oh yeah, the chores is in the middle. And then there's that big blue line that leads to clean the garage. And there's the satellites of those. So I would just recommend getting a good book about mind mapping. And this is the key for me. Now, anybody, probably the majority of the people who are students right now are probably younger. And technology is cool. And we've got phones, we've got tablets, and we've got computers that we carry everywhere with us. And there's mind mapping software. And I would recommend not using it. I would recommend getting out, go to Staples or Target or whatever, and get a 12-pack of colored pens and get a... I don't know, 11 by 17 pad of paper and draw out your mind maps after reading a book on how to do it. The, the act of actually putting pen and different pen color onto paper, most people find is much more memorable than using a computer program. I completely agree. And I do believe there's some research to back that up too. Yes. Um, all right. Are there any common pitfalls or mistakes that you find students use or uh, yes. create? They don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very common problem. (laughs) It's like, oh, that sounds hard. Or, you know, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, I'm, my grade point average is whatever. And and that's fine. You know, as long as I graduate, they're still going to call me doctor. Well, just try it. Take, we'll we'll do, we'll do 60 second memory uh, improvement here. Let's see. Good. And just start it. So first step, memory palace. Picture your, the room that you spend the most time in. Go around the room and find 10 obvious places, one after another, to record, store information. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just like, well, that's first because that's the couch, and there's a lamp, and there's this. There's 10 obvious spots in your room that if you close your eyes now, you can think of them. If you close your eyes again and say, what was the fifth one? The fifth one will be the same when you think about it next time, too. That's your memory palace. Then go to the thing you're having trouble learning, translate it into a picture, and put it in the memory palace in room one. Go to the next thing, put it in memory two or palace room two. Do the same thing 10 times, review it once, 
come back tomorrow, close your eyes and go, okay, what was in room number one, room number two, or location number three, location number four, and see that it works. You do that, you try it once, that's how you do it. So really no reason for avoiding trying it. Go to memoryleague.com and try to memorize 10 words in a minute. See how you do? Use the memory palace. And you'll see, it's actually this brain I can feel my brain working differently when I do memory training. It's the coolest thing. And then when my wife tells me something, I'm much more apt to remember it because I've done my memory training. You tried a few times and it's like, wow, that works. That's the big pitfall I see with people is they go, sounds cool, not going to do it. I think we as Americans especially have this, uh, this weird I don't know if it's a fetish or what, but we have this, this fixation with gathering more information as opposed to applying information. So we, we, we want to read more about memory improvement. We want to listen to more podcasts about memory improvement, but we don't want to sit down with an app and work at memory improvement. So, I'm so gather the information, go onto the, your Facebook page, Post, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to come back in an hour and I'm going to post a reply to my original post saying I did it and what my experiences were. Anybody else in? And then shut the computer down and go do it or close Facebook down and go do it and see if it benefits you. Try it. I'm definitely guilty about that, both in medicine and in memory training is always trying to gather every resource possible and then not dedicating adequate time to the actual training aspect. For a long time, I was really into that. Well, I was, I was into surfing. But what I'd do is I'd read all the surfing magazines. This was back before the internet. And I'd go surfing like once a month. Now, granted, it was a little bit hard to get to the beach and all that jazz. But I wasn't so much interested in surfing as I was interested in kind of like learning about surfing. And I think that's, that's where we go wrong a lot of times. We, we, we gather information. Okay, so... Finishing off this segment of the interview, I usually do what I call just three wishes. So three quick questions, kind of controversial. You can go into as little or as much detail as you'd like. Sounds good. First question, is there anything you wish you could remember better? Oh, yeah. I dedicated a whole chapter to this in my latest book, Mastering Memory, uh, 75 Memory Hacks for Success in School, Work, and Life, because it's so hard for me. And Maybe it's not hard for other people, but I wish I could remember faces better. I don't have actual face blindness like a couple friends of mine do, but I'll see someone, I'll meet them, I'll remember their, memorize their name because I know how to do that. And I will work at memorizing their faces. But if I see them, I could see them the next day and there's a there's probably a 75% chance that I won't recognize their face. Even though I know the techniques and I work at the techniques, I've improved a lot. But that's still a memory downfall for me. Now, if they say, oh, hi, Brad, it was so great meeting you yesterday at the mixer, I'll go, okay, who did I meet at the mixer? And the names will pop into my mind. I'll be like, think that might be Chase. Because I know I'm at a Chase and, you know, you're about the right age. And so kind of by the process of elimination of the names and the people I met, I'll stumble upon the right connection. But that's, that's where I have a hard time is remembering faces. I'm working at it. Um, sometimes I even 
try drawing so I can close my eyes and I'll try like sketch out a face. And that has helped a lot. So anybody with kind of face blindness or they'll meet people and they don't remember their faces, that's, that's a technique is try to, try to identify, you know, are there, are there eyes close together, wide apart? Is the nose big or small? Is it pointed? Is it, you know, uh, crooked? What are their lips like? And there's a list in, my, in, my, in the chapter of my book where I actually now go down kind of a list in my mind where I ask myself questions about their face as I'm talking to them. Because I can remember the name, but the face, that's what I wish I could remember better. Hmm. Yeah, mine's definitely with the names. I'm just terrible. And I know a lot of that's attention. I have years of training of in one ear out the other that I need to rectify. <laughs> but that's been a big trouble point for my memory techniques. There's actually four different memory chapters, memory or memory hacks and chapters in my in my book for remembering names. Because there's there's several different ways and in different ways work for different people and different situations. And some techniques really work well at certain times and don't work well at certain times. So there's definitely the names are much easier to remember than the faces for for me. Now most people that is opposite, but uh Interesting enough, remembering names better, a great way to do that is to get an app, a memory training app, and use the memory palace or memory journey method to remember English words in order. Because the technique of taking a name like theorem and translating that into an instant picture, you know, trying to do it quickly uh, in, a, in a competition type setting on the app and associating that with, you know, your couch. That trains your brain for translating words that don't really mean anything into an image, and that'll help you a lot with uh, remembering names. Definitely added to my Amazon wish list now. (laughs) Good. If you could change one thing about education, what would it be? Well, I'm working on it. I do assembly shows for K through 12. Uh, Well, the memory assembly show I do is for grades 3 to 12, but Really, what I'd like to do is to teach students how to remember. That should be lesson one. At a certain age, yeah, probably third grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, I would love to see spend the first day, if not the first week of school saying, okay, I don't know if sure anybody's ever taught you this, but you're in third grade now, you're old enough. Here's how you can pay attention better. There's lots of distraction, you know, there Clouds are outside, it's a sunny day, and you don't want to be in here as your least favorite class. Here's, here's some techniques for that. Today, class, you know, it's Monday. We're going to learn how 10 different ways that you can pay attention if you're, if you're struggling. All right, day two, it's Tuesday. Now we're going to learn how to translate things that may be hard to remember into pictures because the brain remembers all on pictures. All right, now it's Wednesday. We're going, to trans- we're going to build on that. We're going to take focus and translate into pictures. And now we're going to learn how to associate those pictures with other pictures and get creative. Or we're going to associate those pictures with a journey or a memory palace. This room is our memory palace today. We're going to learn that. Okay, now it's Thursday. And just really take that first week. We're not learning math. We're not learning social studies. We're not learning vocabulary, spelling. We're learning how to learn. And educators... I'm a good guy with memory, but educators know how to teach kids how to learn. And it goes back to what we're talking about in the beginning is, do you want to learn these things while you're learning something else? Like, is it appropriate to help kids learn how to remember 
vocabulary words while they're also learning how to remember how to focus, pay attention, and memorize? Or should we take time to teach the foundation and then build on it? I'm a kind of, let's teach the foundation and then build on it. It works for me. And I'm just one guy. So maybe other people are like, no, 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 no. It's much better to help kids learn how to focus and memorize while you're teaching them something because it's applicable and it means something to them because there's a test and they know they've got to do it. I don't know. I also think that it'd be nice in the education system to experiment. Like, okay, we're going to try this with one group of classes and this with another group of classes as a control subject, and we'll see which one does better. I couldn't agree more. And learning how to learn at an earlier age would be so much easier, and especially learning creative techniques such as memory techniques earlier on is... I would assume similar to learning a language when you're older versus younger, it's just going to be incredibly more difficult later on. Yep. Is there anything that you would change in medicine? Well. (laughs) Or pick one thing that you would change in medicine. (laughs) I respect doctors so much. Uh, Our primary care physician is phenomenal. We've, we got hooked up with her when, and when she had just started her own practice and now we've referred so many people to her as have other people that she's you know busy, which is wonderful. She's succeeding. It's great. I guess the one thing I would, I would approve, not that I know how to do this, not that I have the solution, but affordability and portability. So many people in my life stick with a job they don't like because it has decent health insurance. And affordable, I should say, affordable health insurance, affordable, decent health insurance. What I would like to change is, is affordability. Along those lines, there's, um, I don't know if you've heard of DPC, it stands for direct primary care. No. So every office is run a little different, so I don't want to overgeneralize, but basically a lot of these primary care physicians have joined into a network where they work with each other a lot and they don't work with uh, insurance companies for the most part. And they somehow are able to receive cheaper testing and cheaper appointments. You pay a, a small monthly fee to be a member, and then you can call them anytime. You can text them anytime. A lot of them implement a lot of telemedicine. So from what limited bits I know from rotating with some last year, it's really helping to fight some of the cost and availability issues that you discussed. Interesting. I'll have to check into that. I'm really interested in telemedicine and whether people in the medical profession think it's doable, practical, affordable, and whether it's going to be accepted by the general public. Uh, This could go on for a long time, but just (laughs) a quick summation. It sounds like the newer generation of physicians are really, really behind it. It sounds like a lot of the laws that were preventing it before are being broken down. As far as, you know, if you're stationed in one state, you're licensed in one state, you can't have a patient in another state. So some Mm -hmm. of those are being rectified. I think it's definitely a way that is going to progress over the near future. That's interesting. I know uh, most of the DPC clinics that I saw will at least allow you to text them 24-7 and they'll get around to it when they're not seeing a patient. But some of them do voice and some I think even do like video conferencing when needed. So it's definitely an... Are there any resources that you would recommend to current students? I know you've mentioned memorylead.com and is that the app as well or is there a different memory app? There are several apps. So if people are into apps, I would just look for a memory improvement app. I prefer using memoryleague.com. You can compete with people online. You can track your scores. 
it's just easier to do something on a, on a laptop. And, you know, every student has a laptop these days. So that's, so memoryleague.com. A competitor is memocamp.com. I think memoryleague.com is a little bit more fun and a better experience. There's some other ones. I have, a, you know, there's a memory ladder I have on my Kindle. So I can do that sometimes. And that's an offline thing. So if you, you go to the beach and, you know, You've got to do your memory training. I don't do that. By the way, I'm not that much of a nerd, but I, I can do it. Sometimes I do it sitting in my car when uh, I'm waiting for my wife to do some sort of stuff. So I do recommend the E-Myth Revisited as a book. I recommend meditation. If you don't like the connotation of meditation, you know, I, I recommend sitting and breathing and focusing on your breath for 10 minutes in the morning and then in the evening. So there are a bunch of resources about that. And of course, uh, any good book about mind mapping, if you're really serious about if, if, the, if the kind of linear memory techniques aren't your cup of tea, I, memory mapping might be, or mind mapping might be a great way to remember. So just basically any mind map book or even a Wikipedia article about mind mapping is going to help you out there. And of course, and of course my books. <laughs> my books I think are excellent, but then I might be biased a little bit. <laughs> and we'll definitely add all of those to the show notes for the episode so listeners can go there and and check them all out. And I'm really interested in checking out some of your name recognition techniques now. Any parting thoughts for student hopefuls or current students? Go for it. Yeah, I mean, really my, my serious parting thought and advice is try a, a memory improvement app, learn the technique and try it. And try it 15 minutes a day for a week and just see, you know, prove it to yourself it works or it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, move on to mind mapping or you know, linear note-taking or flashcards or whatever, or a combination thereof. But do try a daily memory improvement or even every other day memory improvement in the morning or prior to studying to make the mind ready to remember the really important stuff. Great. I love it. Well, I think we have a lot of great resources and techniques here for the audience. And I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been great. I wanted to again thank Brad Zup for coming on the show. You can visit bradzup.com for more information, including a free report on 10 ways to supercharge your memory. Links to Mastering Memory, 75 Memory Hacks for Success in School, Work, and Life, as well as his others, can be found in the show notes, as well as his recommendations and contact information. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll cover how to speed read the steps, techniques, and mistakes that students often make. See you then. Thank you.